Coming up next on The Breadwinning Mums. One of the biggest things was for me, fear. So fear became a black male in my life. Remove that fear and keep on moving forward the right way. And eventually that fear will, will leave you. Really invest in yourself. Don't give up, just keep on pushing and you'll find a support system. Eventually, there will be a lot of people supporting you. You just have to keep on searching. The, this mindset of giving up and wanting to be useless because someone wants you to be useless, you just have to fight through it. And once you invest in yourself, you're creating a voice for yourself and eventually you will become the support system for others. Welcome to the show. I'm Jane Lim. On the Breadwinning Mums podcast, we debunk the myths of working mums, cheer each other on, and show the world that it's okay to be a mum and still pursue excellence in your chosen area of expertise. Today we're chatting with Sammy Lee, a fellow breadwinning mum with two children, Emmy and Dean. Sammy is a professor at Concordia University and the co-founder of InnovaTank. Sammy shared with us her life story about growing up in Montreal, juggling four different jobs whilst completing her degree, and finally living her dream life with her partner Stavros and their two children. Here we go with Sammy Lee. Sammy. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, please? Yeah, absolutely. Um, where where do I start? From the from very beginning. Three years old or from 30 years old? Oh, from three, if you can remember that far. I, I, I have a bit of a selective memory, but uh, definitely I'm born in Montreal. I am raised in Montreal and uh, it only I only started going on to my first plane ride that I can remember in, um, I believe, 2014. Oh, so wow. my, that was my first trip to Calgary. And uh, it was really funny because the dean of University of Calgary was was laughing at me and saying, this is your first plane ride, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyways, in short, I'm um, my name is Sammy and uh, I've been I've been a university professor for about 12 years. I studied in statistics by accident. I was in pure and applied sciences, but I failed biology. So I had to take <laughs> a substitute course, which was statistics. And uh, it turns out I really liked it. And then from then on, I met a lot of really good mentors who were statisticians are keen on data analytics. So I got my, my first gig at 23 years old. I was teaching as a lecturer at university. 
Uh, it was it was a very stressful time because I was basically the age of the people I was teaching to. Yeah. So uh, that that was that was the the, the situation, and uh, I learned. So now, twelve years later, I have the experience on board, and um, I'm I'm pushing analytics. It has become from the boring job to one of the sexiest jobs on the market. Yeah. Uh, additionally, I love strategy. I love competition in in a very healthy way. I love to speak with people. I love to learn from people, and uh, that's where I am. And I'm now the co-founder of Innova Tank, which is a digital platform trying to disrupt higher education with innovations. Yeah, that's awesome. What attracted you to statistics to begin with? Out of all of the other subjects that you could choose, what did you choose statistics? I had a lot of trouble memorizing things. So memorizing the entire animal kingdom was just something I had trouble with, but I loved chemistry. I really, really love chemistry. I love analytical chemistry. When it got to statistics, I realized that through, while everyone is just kind of going nuts with the numbers and being very afraid of the numbers, then if you look a little bit deeper, you can tell a story. And you can mm. figure a lot of things. Mm. So it felt as if it was my superpower. I, I could read sheets and sheets of numbers, manipulate them a little bit, and then figure out that, oh, wow, there's a whole story behind this. Yeah. But that really, that was really what drove me. Uh, yeah. What, what, wow. I mean, yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you were born and bred uh, in Montreal. Mm. What was your family's background? So my family speaks Chow Cho. My mom and my dad are born in Vietnam, but we're oh. originally Chinese. And I get often asked where in China? Yeah. Uh, perfect question. I don't know. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sometimes just to make myself feel included, I say it's Guangdong because that's what you're like, ah, oh, Chao Chao, you must be coming from Guangdong. I was like, yeah, sure. I've never been to China and I really, really oh. want yeah. Okay. Do you have any relatives, relatives, uh, grandparents, or aunties? not that I know of? Because my entire family went to Vietnam, but um, I did visit Vietnam, and it's incredible. It's it's a yeah. place that I finally understood why certain things are being done in a certain way. Oh, like what? Uh, for example, uh, the the food, the food that my mom serves me and she yeah. that she makes, it's. It, I, I finally understood it. I understood, yeah. oh, this is how you eat it. This is, <laughs> this is the sauce. I used to hate fish sauce. So like, why? Why are you putting this in this? When you go to China, to Vietnam, you realize it makes everything more delicious. Yeah. Just the environment, the herbs, the, the yeah. nutrition, the just the, the environment is incredible. Yeah. yeah. So that's, wow. uh, that's have, have you Have you heard of the term third generation? Or not third generation, sorry. Third culture kid? Third culture kid, no, no, what is this? So when you are of a certain heritage and then you are either born or grew up in a certain, in a different um, culture and then you move on to a different culture again. So it's almost like your family's heritage is from China and then your parents moved to Vietnam and now you're in Canada. Yeah. So it's like the transition. And now your kids are of, uh, you know, a mix of those cultures. My my kids have a complicated life. They they are half <laughs> and half Chinese. <laughs> I would say rich. <laughs> <Rather than complicated. laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so so currently you're teaching at Concordia, but you're also a mom, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about your personal uh, life? Absolutely. I'm a mom of two. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. They're turning four and two. So it's really not that bad. But uh, during COVID, it was extremely difficult. I I had Emmy. So Emmy's my first uh, daughter. And uh, nine months in, uh, COVID started hitting. So we were isolated. And Dean, Dean's time completely passed. We, we just completely uh, forgot about different milestones because we were so isolated. So I was mm. pregnant and I was taking care of Emmy. And that was, uh, that was a lot to juggle because we were starting our company. I was also teaching 10 courses instead of the usual three. 10 courses. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It was online. There was a lot of management, but uh, because some teachers I had to replace, they caught COVID, they were sick. Uh, some yeah. other teachers just needed, needed to retire or needed to take a pause. So yeah. uh, the, the institutions needed people to help out. And I was like, okay, yeah. I'll help out. And uh, that's, that's what I did. Yeah. Wow. So how did you juggle all that? Did you have help or did staff just look after the kids while you were teaching online or? That was pretty team? much it. That was tag. We, he yeah. was upstairs and I was downstairs yeah. and uh, we would just manage our time really well so that we yeah. don't have overlapping courses. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Um, so obviously you're married to Stavros, who's also a fellow academic um, and now the co-founder of Innova Tank. How, um, how has life changed for you between um, the first time you got together until you got married and now building a company together with kids in tow? Uh, absolutely. I started, so I met Stavros in my MBA. I just started my MBA and he was finishing his MBA there was a common course. It was a selection for case competitions. Uh, so they were selecting, I think, 12 people to be part of this course. And then these 12 would go on to compete in different competition, including the NBA ICC, the Hasking 24 hour. And I believe there was another one. Um, <clears throat> and then when uh, I was interviewing, I saw this guy who, uh, who was wearing a pink shirt. <laughs> So I always I a good out. sign. <laughs> I saw two of my friends and I, I was like, hey, how are you? Uh, do you want to be my mentor? I just said it as a joke. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so he agreed to be my mentor. I don't think he knew what he was getting himself into, but I was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> and then I walked into my interview. Uh, the, fun, the story is actually quite funny. I walked into my interview. I did my thing. He did his thing. And afterwards, we found each other on Facebook. We, we were supposed to meet in December for a supper, but I ditched him because uh, I was too busy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we met afterwards, I think in March to be selected for the September course. Then um, I got out and he messaged me. He's like, hey, how are you? Don't be, uh, don't be discouraged if you don't get selected because it was my first semester in the MBA. And usually it's the third years who are getting selected. Okay. Uh, so he told me, he's like, don't despair. You can keep on going and keep pushing. And uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to keep on going. And one day I received an email that I was accepted, mm. but I didn't see his name. I didn't see his name on the list. Yeah. And then uh, turns out his name was Love. His his name on the email was Love Learning Science. And uh, okay. I was wondering, who is Love? Yeah. Who is Love? And then, yeah. then he messages me. He's like, hey, you got in congratulations I got in too I was like but I don't see your name he's like I'm love learning science I was like oh 
<laughs> and so oh. love began. <laughs> yeah, so we, we connected very quickly. I think yeah. mostly because my best friend went to primary school with him. Oh, so he knows her. Uh, yeah. And his best friend went to primary school with me. <laughs> and I, I knew of him. <laughs> that wow. was a very fun connection. Yeah. And uh, that's that's it. And then we went into the course. I think the entire time we were trying to tell people, we were trying to hide the fact that we knew each other very well, that we were friends. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, Why? And I think it's because the selection process is a, by votes. So we don't really want people to think that we're biased or anything. And there's also team, there's also team, a lot of teamwork. So every single week, it's a rotation. Uh, we don't want this to be, uh, you know, to, to be creating for sort of um, friction. Expectation. Yeah. Yeah. Expectation based on my own capability and his own capabilities. Mm -hmm. That was, uh, so we, we keep on trying to, to separate it. Even today, uh, people don't know we're married. Sometimes oh. we change our background. Yeah. They, they just know us as two co-founders. So they think we're really good friends. <laughs> that, that's a good sign right do you feel like you're still good friends now um compared to back then or has love become a lot more uh complicated as you take on a lot more responsibilities yeah no i think we became even better friend than when we were this year actually this year we're hitting our 10 years ah congratulations yeah. marriage or uh together? we've never been married because we haven't had oh. the time uh, we, okay. we had all the paperwork ready we went into this building thinking that okay it's time to get married let's sign this paper and uh we went in the security guard said where are you what are you where are you going i was like we're ready to get married come on let's do it we have 15 minutes and he's like you're in the wrong building <laughs> <laughs> okay all right well committed at least uh, yes, 10 absolutely. years I mean, committed to each other or 10 years dating uh, dating, we were never really friends, so we uh, we started ah. dating pretty much right away. We became really good friends, uh, and and then um, you know today we've lived through a lot of things together. Yeah, I think we're becoming just really good partners of life. And <clears throat> that's, that's why awesome. he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't call me his wife when he talks to people. He calls me his partner, and I yes. asked him why don't you call me your wife? He's like because I don't know. It makes it, it makes it feel like you know there's some differences no 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 you're my equal you're my equal oh. and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's sweet yeah. how about um since you have kids did it change your relationship with each other absolutely during covid we're fighting a lot absolutely a lot i mean there are lows and there are highs but at the end of the day we have the same values in life and that's what keeps us really uh, on point after COVID well I wouldn't say after COVID and now that we're, we're seeing more people and we're less isolated we're realizing the values that we've grown during those three years mm. it was tough. in what way during COVID you meant during COVID it was really yeah. tough we had two kids so I was pregnant teaching a lot of courses he was also teaching a lot of courses and we we didn't we didn't have any help in that sense so mm. it was either him taking care of the kids or me taking care of the kids. We didn't mm. have a break 
and we yeah. were in each other's faces all the time. Yeah. There are absolutely there are, there are fights. Uh, there I don't remember any of the fights. There was nothing important. It was yeah. just you didn't yeah. clean the dishes. I told you to clean the dishes. It's yeah. that. <laughs> Things like that. Yeah. But yeah. Um, you need fights to realize, you know, to realize certain things. You need to yeah. that button. Uh, yeah. Communication is one of the, the biggest. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, so you were talking just before about teaching uh, when you were 23, when you were still at the same age as your student. Um, how was that experience and uh, how did you overcome that? I think I was just being overly prepared when I heard it was actually an accident in the sense as my mentor asked me after my master's, do you want to teach statistics? And I said, I, he was mumbling. Uh, he said, oh, TA something. So there's a word which is limited term appointment, uh, which is a, a lecturing position. It's not a professorship because I do not have a PhD. So I was lecturing and I, I understood TA, which is teaching assistant. And I had just finished my master's, like, sure, I don't have a job yet. I'm still looking, so I will take it. Then first day of work, I realized, and when I received my contract, I realized that it was actually a lecturing position. I said, I'm going to be the actual teacher. Uh, I was expecting teaching 30 people. I didn't expect teaching 120 mm. at a time. That was very stressful. And I'm not the biggest public speaker. I'm definitely not that, that person. I'm always the one hiding. And in the food area, if you mean a network. Mm. <laughs> so I, okay. I just went in, I had two weeks to prepare myself. I went to a lot of teaching seminars. There were a lot of uh, teaching seminars available. I went there. I, I met teachers who have used actors in their classrooms mm. to, to mimic rebellion. That was incredible. So <laughs> You walk into this classroom, a teacher is teaching, and then all of a sudden there are these two troublemakers with their cell phones making noise. Yeah. And the teacher used them as an example, and they were really rebellious. The teacher said, get out, get, get out of my room if you're not going to respect everybody. Mm. And they were creating chaos and the teacher was dealing with it. At the yeah. end of the seminar, we realized that those two were actors. Uh, and, and I was like, that was brilliant. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. Anyway, I, I learned a lot of things. I was overly prepared. I went to buy myself a suit to look proper. Uh, yeah. I had my mic. And the first day I even had an, an entire diagram, like a hockey arena. Yeah. You have blue seats and red seats and yellow seats. And if you disturb <laughs> the class, you come and move up to the seats. I had red <laughs> cards and yellow cards. I was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> okay. And how did it go? <laughs> Uh, it, well, I mean, halfway through, I was like, okay, this is not working. <laughs> this is <just> <laughs> moving. <laughs> the, the first semester was very tough, really, really tough. I had a lot of criticism, mostly saying, um, I had other faculty tell me, other faculty members who were trying to help me tell me that, listen, at your age right now, you can't do anything right. If you teach properly, it's your job. If you don't teach properly, then you've failed. You've done a bad job. You can't do it right you'll always be criticized. And that's exactly what happened. I walked in the classroom, halfway through the semester, students were complaining. Students saying, oh, who is she to teach us? You know, blah, blah, blah. there's a lot of things. I got pretty good feed, bad feedback on, I think, rate my professor, things like that. And it was hurting me, it was hurting me. I was like, right, I'm not used to that thing. 
But I kept on going because my strategy is that I want to push my students to their maximum, to their limits during the midterm time. So obviously they have lower grades, but then I also want to keep motivating them to be better and better so that in the final, I can, I can give them a much better grade because of their improvement. Mm. But evaluations, they happen before the final exam grade. Mm. So it's just a bad timing. So I would get a lot of bad reviews because I'm, I'm tough during the midterm time. Mm. But then when you see your grade in the final exam, you realize, wow, you've improved a lot. Mm. And it was also this idea of being there. I'm always there for my students. I'm answering. I had my BlackBerry and I was answering uh, questions at 3 a.m. in the morning. I was really, really just there. I had a lineup in my office hour. And mm. I think a few years later, I started having people just crowd my, my auditorium. I had people mm. sitting in the stairs and it was actually a fire hazard, but, but they were just trying to come in and learn about statistics. Mm. And I was just trying to make it fun. So it, it worked. It worked. It was fun. It was really, uh, uh, it was really amazing. And even today, I speak to students who have graduated 10 years ago. They're now mm. in the industry having their careers. And uh, it's just nice to have that relationship. Wow. Awesome. How long did it take you from that very first day where you, where you had the red card and the blue card and the yellow card until you had people sitting on the stairs? Uh, I think it took me a year. It, it took a year for me to realize my curriculum, what I had yeah. to change. I was buying gigantic dice. Uh, die and I was throwing them in the classroom it was a show it was really really fun I yeah. was having people toss coins write down data we would use uh, computer softwares to, to kind of generate the normalization I would break it down for them in simple terms I yeah. would not overwhelm them because I don't even understand the complex if I don't break it down yeah. for myself so if yeah. I don't understand then they don't understand so that, wow. that took about a year or so yeah yeah, cool. I would have liked to learn that class. <laughs> Take us back to the young uh, three-year-old Sammy. What was the young Sammy like? Did you always know that you were going to be a mom? And did you always know that you were going to be maybe not necessarily a lecturer, but maybe someone who works in her career? Yeah, so I think my youth was a little bit on the difficult side. Uh, on the difficult side, my, my dad was an entrepreneur. Like he had businesses. He came from Vietnam and he worked very hard at restaurants as well as uh, electronic stores and import exports. Um, so he really, he was an amazing entrepreneur where I still think back to, to this time. But he was not the greatest father. But he was not pleasant. And what I remember my youth is that my parents were just busy working and I was doing my thing. So I was being thrown in a lot of programs uh, just because they, they didn't have time for me. And um, I, my parents are also divorced. So when, when I was 19, uh, it, was, it was in an unbearable relationship. And for the best of everybody, it had to, it had to be over. So there was a lot of violence. There was a lot of things that we had to go through, me and my brother. And although these are difficult, when I think back today, the experience that I see today is based on what I've seen in my youth. I was forced to become an adult very, very quick. I didn't really enjoy my childhood. So 
to, it's not really to compensate, but being aware of that, I want my kids to have a proper child. I want them to do crazy things. I want them to do balloons and, and have fun and have birthdays, which are things that I didn't necessarily have. So that was quite difficult. And at one point we hit poverty. So uh, at one point where you know I had $2 for, for my lunch or I had to figure it out. I had, uh, on average, I was having three or four jobs, part-time jobs during my studies. And uh, I'm very thankful because the Quebec system here, I was paying, I think for education about $5,000 per year. I believe it's $5,000 per year or it was subsidized. So just because of that, I was able to move up in education uh, because I didn't have that burden of paying a lot. So that I really took advantage of that. I said, you know what, if I'm going to get myself a master's, I better get a master's. And that would jump my salary. So it was, it was a lot of hard work while all mm -hmm. my friends were, were, were out and, you know, telling me, come out, you should, you need a break. I was stuck in the office. I was studying the whole time. And I think it, it was very well worth it because I got out of that situation. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, oh, no worries. I really yeah. appreciate you being frank with us. So when your parents split up when you were 19, did you end up living with your mom then? We, we, um, so that's, that's a story, which I'm not afraid to talk about at all. We actually moved out in 30 minutes. So we had to actually, um, the story is that we had planned everything because there were a little bit of violence that were, I was scared of. And yeah. um, no, it was a so recurring theme. So it. we had yeah. to plan it properly. And mm -hmm. at one point there was a lawyer who was helping us. It, it was part of a government program and it was incredible. This lawyer is, I'm so thankful to her. I learned a lot. I went to court with her. Uh, I went to a lot of things and she just taught me. She had, I believe a Volvo, unless that was a French teacher, but it's all a blur. I learned so much. And at one point uh, we had all the papers ready and the bailiff was, was going to my dad's house to, to give the, the paperwork. And right away I had all of my boxes stacked up, everything prepared in my room. I had a very small room. And in 30 minutes the next day we had a moving truck. And my aunt, my uncles, they all came. I called up a few of my friends and we moved out in 30 minutes. We moved everything mm -hmm. out as quickly as possible. And we moved out to, uh, to, to a nice little apartment. Um, the apartment was tiny. We were three. We were, you know, the kitchen was inside our bedroom. Everything was, uh, was really small, but we were happy. You know, we were happy. The only thing was there were a lot of disturbances uh, still because we live in Montreal, you know. Uh, so that, that was a, a bit difficult. But at the same time, I realized that by being poor and having my family around, my brother and my mom, I was, I was just very happy. And I had memorization problems. So when I, I tell you that I, I was not good in memorization, it's because I had malnutrition issues. So I, I didn't oh. eat well. I had a lot of health issues. And suddenly when I moved out to the apartment, my, my memory got better for some yeah. reason. I think so, because you're less scared, right? So your yeah. body is not really trying to go into this freeze fight light mode. It's just you're relaxed and you're more able to digest information. Exactly. So I was, yeah. uh, before that, I was taking my big bag and I was running out of the house at 4 a.m. I didn't want anybody to see me and I would come back very late. Whereas then I started in my apartment, 
and I yeah. could just sit in my apartment. No one would bother yeah. me. It was yeah. slowly got better. My grades got better. Mm -hmm. um, I think towards the end of uh, my bachelor's, I was having a bit of trouble, but at the beginning, but after my bachelor's, I was just hitting all the A pluses. So that mm -hmm. saved me to go towards my master's. And it was, mm -hmm. was life-changing. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Incredible. Um, so um, at that time, when you were living with your mom and your brother, did you know that you were going to be a mom? No, no, I didn't really think about it. I, mm. I didn't really plan my life for, for half of the half of it. I didn't plan ahead, never planned ahead. I just was trying to survive by the day. I was trying yeah. to say, okay, am I going to be alive for, the, for tomorrow? Am I going to eat yeah. tomorrow? that yeah. type of thing i knew that yeah. hard work would pay off yeah um, so i was working very very hard i was trying to pass my exams do as as best as i could within yeah. my circumstances and um you know being a mom today i mean it's a dream i i, I spend 90 percent of my time just looking at my kids <laughs> just being there just yeah. being there yeah that's awesome um so how was it like being a first time mom then when you just had um your daughter was that obviously um an incredible time but was it also a scary time it was absolutely very scary it was mm. uh it was not as glorious as you know the pictures or the, the you know the videos say it was uh, yeah. scary i was scared uh, because oh well, look at that um i think a month in to my pregnancy i i i was hurting so I was bringing a lot of exams. It was heavy. And uh, then my, my, um, my stomach was hurting. Near my stomach, it was hurting. And then I went to the hospital. It was, it was painful. The hospital told me that I have a gigantic cyst. Ooh. And uh, that I may have to choose between my child and uh, the cyst. Because, yeah. because that growing. could great issues mm. yet. And it was gigantic, apparently, it was like 11 centimeters or something like that. And I was freaking out because if I had to choose, I, I would choose her over my life. Mm. But then, you know, what, what would happen? Mm. So that was a little bit scary. I met, um, then my aunt calls me up and said, no, no, you got to go to this amazing doctor. Her name is Chui Nguyen. Uh, she's Vietnamese. And she's a professional, uh, she, she's a specialist. So she took care of me. And for some reason, she told me maybe in your second semester, you may have to, to do a surgery, but we're going to be very careful about it. We'll take mm -hmm. care and we'll make sure everything's okay. Suddenly, the cyst, this bad news just disappeared. The cyst completely disappeared. Didn't mm -hmm. need surgery, nothing. So we were wondering, was the scan wrong? Yeah. Um, but that was a, the first scare. The second scare was that we were living through a lot of stress during the time I was conceiving Emmy because uh, Stav's dad was, was sick and we had to deal with that as well. And Stav's dad actually passed away one week before Emmy oh. was born. And that, so he was really waiting for it and he was really trying to, you know, to survive that extra week yeah. to see her, but he didn't have a chance to meet her. So we were all, you know, but you know, she, she came out and um, she came out as a preemie um, not not really a preemie she was just six days and six days the seventh day is when you you're considered mature so she had a lot of attention at the hospital a lot of checkups but all in all she's growing uh, really well and she's mm. a very smart kid today yeah 
did it bring flashbacks to your own childhood? And um, I guess sometimes parenthood gives you almost a second, not almost, I'm pretty sure we are trying to fix our parents' mistakes with our own children, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. So did it bring some flashbacks and um, made you feel like, okay, this is what I'm going to do right this time? Yes. I think for Emmy, more than anything, I really wanted to make sure I gave her freedom mm -hmm. and I gave her comfort. I don't necessarily pamper her with things, but I mm -hmm. really do want her to have freedom to, to think, to be creative, to do what she wants to do, mm -hmm. because I do have that. And mm -hmm. I think this, this is an awareness that is healthy. Mm -hmm. I'm not being especially strict on her or, or anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's growing to to learn four languages. She's learning to to mm. tell me that she likes to draw. She likes to do piano. If she likes piano, I'm putting a piano in front of her. Oh wow! Playing around with it. Yeah. A lot of things. You know, a lot of these things. I think it's the. Uh, I'm I'm just trying to make improvements. And yeah. most importantly, is to be there. I think yeah. my presence. So mm. I've designed my whole life. I was working so many jobs. I was working mm. three full time jobs. And when I was pregnant with Emmy, I said, I quit everything. I'm only going to teach uh, on a stable time. And mm. I want to be there for my kids because they are my priority. And that's, yeah. that's why we, we both do, Stav and I. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Okay. All right. So what is life for you like uh, right now? Life for, for me right now is a dream. It's a, it's a dream. I get to see my kids grow. I have flexibility. I'm able to um, to create my own company, although it's not, no, it hasn't lifted yet, but I'm very, I'm just very certain that it will because we're solving a problem and we're trying to, to be part of that solution. Mm. So and it's my passion. It comes from my own experience. It also comes from a lot of thought. It's not something that came out of nowhere. And I continue to live it every single day. We're trying to democratize case competitions. I'm trying to bring these experiences for my students. So when I'm teaching a marketing course right now, my students are 16, 18 years old. They don't know anything. They're expecting a, you know, a slide deck type of course with you know, maybe testing. But what I'm telling them is you're going to be solving cases for real companies. And mm. most of the time they're really shocked. They're like, but what do you mean? I was mm. like, no, no, for real, you're actually going to do it. And now mm. that they got a hang of it, they are performing insane, incredibly, incredibly. Yeah. Mm. Okay. What was the main problem that you're trying to solve through InnovaTank? I think through InnovaTank, InnovaTank is you working with corporations to align the, the latest stories in business in order to diffuse them inside the classroom. So instead of talking about a case from a past tense, yeah. we're looking live at news, at biggest companies, at stories coming outside. So the motivation was me as a teacher, I, I felt it. I felt the stress of my students. I felt that my students were, were afraid. They, they were focusing a lot on trying to complete that test in order to get a grade. They were not really learning. They were just mm. doing a test in order to get a grade, therefore the diploma. The learning starts after you get your diploma and you realize that you've wasted all these years. So it was the same thing. When I, I graduated from my PhD and I became, I started doing uh, working on InnovaTank, 
I realized how much time I could have saved by mm -hmm. working as I was studying. So imagine you're in a business program and every single course that you're taking, you're actually doing a little internship or a little consulting gig for real companies as you move along. That mm -hmm. would have given you a lot of real life experience that transitions towards your career. So that that was that was bothering me quite a bit. The mm -hmm. idea that um, I was I was teaching a marketing course, and I, I understand that there are certain ways to do things, but when a marketing course is based on a book and memorization, which I hate memorization and not necessarily practical work, it can't be a marketing course. It can mm -hmm. be a biological, like a biology course, but it can't be a management or a marketing course. It has to be practical. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. really the motivation, yeah. Okay, interesting. I can totally relate. I was doing a um, marketing subject this time last year and it was based on early 2000, I think. And I just thought it's not really relevant, though, especially after COVID. COVID is a complete game changer. Yeah. So the way we do things have completely changed. Okay, all right. Well, good on you. So how are you currently juggling work and family lives? I'm, I'm just doing it by passion. So I, I do have certain structures. I use my calendar a lot. Uh, I try to automate as many things as possible. So a lot of automation. Um, I have breakfast with my kids in the morning. So when they wake up 7 a.m. till 9.30, I block my schedule. I do not have any appointments or anything. Then at night, if I have the energy, I used to work 9 p.m. to 4 a.m. when I was really pushing through Novatech. Um, wow. Like, I think four days a week because otherwise I would burn out. <laughs> uh, so okay. I take care of the kids the whole day. I do wake up at 7. They sleep at 7. <clears throat> Sometimes they sleep at 11. But uh, I would go onto my computer from 9 and I would power through till 4 a.m. And then I would get about three hours of sleep. That was not healthy, wow. but mm -hmm. that was needed for, for the company. Um, but now that it's settled down, it's better. I, I, I block my, my nighttime as extra work. So creative work, anything that I feel like doing. Mm. I don't like structure because if you tell me to do something today, I will not do it. I, I mm. just have that rebellious personality. But mm. if I give myself multiple options and say, during mm. this time, you could mm. do this, 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 or this, then mm. you know, my personality likes it too. So understanding. Ah. How do no. you still have energy at nine o'clock at night? It's a choice. It becomes a choice. I always have the choice to just go sleep and yeah. not quit. But sometimes I'm just curious. I want to check out a feature. I want to do a, a little bit of something. Then it's really on my own time and it becomes a choice. So I have okay. a list of things. The urgent things, I tackle them on Monday morning. Mm. So my, my weekends are now very stable weekends I don't work unless I mm. want to which mm. I usually do but but I, I don't necessarily push myself to do it and mm. everything waits for uh, 10 o'clock on Monday I answer emails I do everything and it becomes very very structured in, in that sense mm. so that's that's the only way for me to to be very balanced mm. uh, during during my studies I was juggling four or five jobs at the same time that was my calendar was insane it was crazy yeah. Yeah, but now it's a lot more stable. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you're uh, you have this really high, not necessarily high energy, but you have this persisting energy, right? That lasts just throughout the days. 
Do you have any specific routine, exercise, meditation, any kind of regime that really helps you maintain that that energy? I I have uh, I don't like routines. I I understood from my personality that I don't like anything that is pre pre-scheduled because mm. I will just rebel against it for mm. some reason. Uh, for a lecturer, when... <laughs> that's <being ironic. laughs> yeah. That's why I switch things really fast as well. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sometimes going. my kids are just like, "Why isn't this part of the plan?" I was like, "Do you feel like it?" They're like, "No, we don't feel like it." All right, let's do something else. But <laughs> <laughs> okay. Eventually, it'll get there. One of my biggest routine was writing, uh, writing a journal. Mm. Yes, that uh, when I was a kid. The, what helped me a lot was to imagine things, dream, and everything was written. I think I have boxes and boxes of journals that, mm. that have been written, and it was all very emotional, a lot of anger, mm. a lot of things. That was what really kept me alive in a sense. Mm. So I was writing a lot. Lately, I don't really write anymore. Mm. I don't write journals anymore because I'm living the dream already. Um, yeah. I mean, my kids and all that, there's nothing to log on, but I do. <clears throat> I do have this persistence of writing what will happen in 10 years. So I remember once uh, I was writing what could be possible in 10 years. And I wrote, you know what? I might complete a PhD, an MBA, and an MSc. That sounds a little bit far-fetched, but let me just write it down. Mm -hmm. And uh, constantly, everything that I write down, it happens. So huh. uh, it, it's just encouraging. You know, I go yeah. back to it now. It's like, oh, you know, what? I wrote this that time. And it's yeah. actually happening. So it's kind of planning yeah. ahead for my vision. Yeah. Perfect. Manifesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, if you could give yourself, your younger self, one tip, um, I guess to a time when you're still a teenager and you're going through a lot of turbulent times at home, um, challenging times at school, um, what would you, knowing all of the wisdom that you have now, what would you give your, say, um, a 15-year-old Sammy? I would say one of the biggest things was for me, fear. So fear became a black male in my life. So for example, you may, I may take your mom to jail or, you know, I may, I may torture your brother or, you know, things like that always that type of fear that blackmails me I don't have the heart for that and even today when someone tells me you could lose your job if you don't do a certain thing I said screw you seriously that's just remove that fear and keep on moving forward the right way and eventually that fear will will leave you because I think um, a lot of moms a lot of moms have that fear because you're juggling a lot of things and your situation may be a little bit different. And when there's a fear that you your job, you may you may lose your job, that's a big deal. It's a big threat that makes no sense. So know your worth. You're really good. And if you lose that job, it means that another one is in front of you and a better, a better place. You will be in a better place. And it's hard mm. to say if you're in a situation like this, uh, it's very hard. But knowing what I know today is that just keep on investing in yourself, know your worth. And if someone threatens you for something that doesn't make sense, just ignore mm. them. And just keep on moving forward. Yeah. Mm. It's always a better place. Yeah. yeah. Or even if you, if you have the, 
the energy, I guess, or the tact talk back, right? Stand up for yourself and say, no, that's that what you're saying is not true. Just call out the lie, I guess. Exactly. I think being outspoken sometimes becomes something that women don't necessarily have the, I'm not going to say courage, just don't want to do it because there's so many, so many people will start, you know, shooting at you. Yeah. Sometimes silence goes a longer way, mm. but sometimes it's good to be outspoken and call it out. You just have mm. to find support. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Okay. Awesome. What's your alpha mom song? So you have a lot of um, demands coming from work. Your kids are sick and you don't feel well yourself. What one song do you play on the back of your mental mind to make it through the week? Oh, oh, wow. Uh, I do have one song and it's it's very funny because I'm not really that religious. It's um, from the Michelle Obama uh, movie, the first song. It's um, a, a God Like You by Kirk Franklin. Ah, nice. Yeah. Hmm. I'll check it out. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, Sammy, thank you so much. It's been a really insightful uh, chat with you. Thank you for sharing your life story so frankly. Just, I guess, before we close... Do you have any last uh, tip for all women, daughters, wives, sisters who are dealing through turbulent times in their family life? If there was one thing that they could take away from this conversation, what would that be? I would say really invest in yourself. Don't give up. Just keep on pushing and you'll find a support system. Eventually, there will be a lot of people supporting you. You just have to keep on searching. The, this mindset of giving up and wanting to be useless because someone wants you to be useless, you just have to fight through it. And once you invest in yourself, you're creating a voice for yourself. And eventually, you will become the support system for others. That would be my, my tip. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Sammy. Thank you so much, Jane. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. See you then. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to Breadwinning Mums. Please subscribe and leave us some feedback so we can continue to make the show better for you. If you know a fellow breadwinning mum, please share the show so we can cheer each other on. Until next time. <laughs>